welcome to this week's episode of Please Watch This, a film podcast where two film-loving mates with gaps in their viewing history recommend films to one another so they can, once and for all, answer the question, who has better taste? My name is Hugh Dempsey. I'm joined, as always, by my friend and confidant, Sam Blakely. Hello, Sam. Hello, Hugh. You did that in one take. I'm impressed. Yeah, I'm going to have to stop it now and redo it again because you've mocked me for it. <laughs> well, I don't think that's... I mean, we'd never get the episode done if that was the case. No, it's, yeah, just... Just about, just about, stuttered <laughs> on one word, but you know, we I'm can proud of you. dissect this later. So yeah, how are you? I'm good, yeah I'm good, enjoyed a very lazy day after a very long week, and um, yeah, still feeling a bit rough, went out last night, slept in my contact lenses, and didn't realise... What does realize... that feel like? I've no, I don't wear them, so. <laughs> I'm guessing you <laughs> must wake up in the morning. Is it like having... Bits of plastic stuck in your eye at that point, rather than... They're basically... Yeah, they're basically solid. And uh, I was sure I took them out, but then it might have been a dream because then <laughs> a couple of hours later, I felt something in one of my eyes and it really hurt. And then I realised, oh, it's contact lens, so I took that out. And then I thought I'd really damaged that eye because that eye was much worse than the other one. For about three hours, I went for a nap and uh, was watching like TV for a bit. Um, and I went to put my glasses on and realised, oh, I've still got the contact lens in the other eye. I just thought that was, like, better than the eye I'd had the other lens in and hurt. So, in short, I'm all right, Hugh. <laughs> have, you had a, have you had a good week? Yeah, it's not been too bad. No, uh, no strange hangover antics, to be honest. <laughs> no contact lens-related lens no. injuries? No, it's the one thing that is okay with my body even at the tender age of 31 um yeah my eyes are the only thing that i've got that are going for me still they uh, <laughs> they work just about as well as they did when i was 18 well done yeah thanks <laughs> <laughs> thank my parents it's there they gave them to me yeah oh yeah well yeah. this is the funny thing me and my brother both need glasses but neither of our parents did until the 50s really um, yeah very odd that that is weird, actually. To be fair, <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, this week, film-wise, what is it? We are doing the 2014 uh, film Gone Girl, uh, directed by David Fincher, uh, based on the novel written by Gillian Flynn, starring Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike in a um, yeah a on the surface a crime thriller, suspense, pre- almost procedural. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, to be honest. It's a very interesting film, and I think, yeah, I'm hoping you liked it, so we're going to discuss that today. So, yeah. yeah, do you want to tell us the plot, then, of Gone Girl? Yeah, let's get into it. So, the plot of the film is, so, as you know, on this show, if you've not listened before, we do talk about this film in spoilers. These, this doesn't, our podcast isn't really a review of the film, it's more a discussion about what we liked, what we didn't like, but also about the themes of the films, so maybe that's where we stray away from review territory. So here we give a synopsis rather than uh, an outline of the plot, because it's just easier, and then later on when we're discussing things we're not having to fill in narrative gaps. So the long and short of this film is a man called Nick, who's played by Ban, Ban-, Ban- Affleck, no, <laughs> Ben Affleck, because Ban Affleck is a different thing altogether. Um, <laughs> I think they have that in Iraq, Iran at the moment. <laughs> it's, a, it's a campaign to ban um, Ben Affleck Afflecks. from being there. Yeah, all that, yeah. Yeah, Casey, Ben, his parents, <laughs> his cousins, who also share the same surname. But yeah, so what happens is he's a... Um, he, 
basically wakes up on the day of his uh, five-year wedding anniversary. Um, he goes to the bar that he owns, uh, to, where his twin sister's working. Uh, they're discussing his marriage, and ultimately what happens is when he gets home, his wife is missing. What ensues for the first half of the film, or the first hour, is like almost a traditional, what's, what's happened to her? Has she been murdered? Did he murder her? And then what happens is you find out. So the big plot twist in this, so spoiler alert again, is it turns out that his wife is a sociopath who (laughs) framed her own disappearance. She goes, and then the narrative structure of the film switches perspective. You see things from her point of view. And then what happens is um, it's an examination almost of suspicion in society and the media lens that looks upon what's happening when uh, something a crime is committed where there's a you know there's a suspicious party and how the media frame it how you know representation of oneself to the outside world come what happens when that's put under the microscope and every little detail of your life's kind of examined by outside forces and opinions um yeah so what happens, it's, really, it's a lot about PR, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then, so what happens then is, it turns out she faked her own death, and she's kind of on the lam for a bit. Um, she gets, she has a bit of money that she's kept, and what she does is, um, she gets robbed by a friend she makes, basically a friend and her boyfriend. They rob her, and what ends up happening is she reconnects with an old boyfriend who had a, a strange affiliation with her back in high school. And then the plot line goes really mental. She ends up killing that man, uh, framing him for kidnapping and returning back home. And basically at the end of the film, you're left with the status quo almost that you had at the beginning of the film where they're still married. And, um, you know, Ben Affleck is very afraid of his uh, murderous wife because she tells him that she basically co-ops him into the crime. She tells him that she's done this. um, And... Yeah, how do you explain it? She tells him, she tells him that she's murdered, murdered Desi, and she's saying, "If you tell the police, I will, I will spin another story to make them think that, you know, that will ruin your reputation, and the people will believe me over you." Because she's pretty much already done it once, and he, and the only way he managed to save this marriage, essentially, if you want to look at it on the bright side, was he went on one of those, he goes on one of the talk shows, you know, a bit like, um, I don't know, like what Princess Diana went on back in the day, (laughs) is my best example of it, you know, one of these um, Hawkeye journalists who ask them tough questions. Oh, was that Martin Bashir with the... Yes, it was. Yeah. And yeah, he does a really, he appeals to his wife on that, and that's why she ends up murdering Desi essentially so yeah um, yeah she's a woman with a plan yeah she's definitely that so that well, mm. I would say that's a brief out we're not going into all the specifics of the plot because there's some subplots in there about him having it essentially she decides to do it because he's uh, he's he cheats on his wife he has a period of infidelity with because um, he's a writer and he, uh, a young uh, student so she wants to get her own back for him doing that, essentially. Yeah, I mean, nobody's nobody's reliable in this film, it seems. Yeah. Um, so the reasons I think you would like this film, Sam, the reasons I've outlined, is um, the film's, like you said, it's about perception more than reality. It's about how do we perceive when a crime 
or something that is morally and ethically repugnant happens and how do we deal with that in the modern world how is it interpreted by outside forces inside forces there's also a really good procedural element to this film you know because obviously what we do on this podcast is we recommend films to one of us neither of us, one of us hasn't seen before so this to me is like david fincher's it's like a hits collection so it's got a bit of seven it's got a bit of the social network with the dial you know the snappy quick dialogue um it's you know very beautiful film like zodiac um again it's got like the mystery that zodiac has um it's got all i think it's got all his best films rolled into one with this and you get a little slice of all of these things you know it's quite it's quite a sexy film at times i would say um there's there's definitely some tits yeah there's a lot yep yeah, we'll get on to them <laughs> um yeah it also examines modern relationships you know how do you know that all like i said is our appearances you know when you see a couple you only see maybe what they want you to see as a couple you know we all put on this persona to the world and it's a good examination i feel of that so i think you might you know you're in a relationship you know you, you do wonder what what it's like what i what is your what is your partner thinking you know how how much time do you spend in a relationship thinking about what the other person might be thinking about or wanting um, although if if you are listening nick i've never thought about cracking open your lovely skull and unspooling your brains um <laughs> but uh, yeah i think that's an astute observation really yeah um and yeah, I think it looks. It doesn't go into. It goes into it a little bit, but there's the the 24 hour news media coverage drive for you know what the story is. There's a few scenes I would say maybe that are a bit manufactured, perhaps where you know he gets the selfie with the woman and she she won't delete the picture because uh, she, she can't comprehend why he'd want that deleting, <laughs> which I you know. Um, understand but it's things like that do happen you know it's it's as, it kind of this film asks you well you're seeing what's the media presenting to you well what's the truth is that the truth because a lot of the times it's not the truth is it i mean yeah <laughs> we've just had an election uh so uh yeah very often it's not the truth yeah i mean you know fact check uk would be all over this film <laughs> at cchq for details yeah, um, I enjoy the narrative structure of this film. Like sometimes I've mentioned on this pod before that sometimes it comes across as a little lazy when films adapt from a book. Where with this, the adaptation's done really well. Yes, there is a narrator, narrator, but that's part of the deception that um, Rosamund Pike's Amy's character creates. Is she's reading this um, diary that's made to look like it's about her and Nick's relationship starting and then falling apart and she's afraid of him and it's there to lead the police to believe that he killed her where in actual fact she wrote it over a couple of weeks um, and there's scenes where like there's a few scenes and I don't know we can get into it now or we can get in we'll get into it in your review but uh, maybe hear about these for later where um there's the scene on the hallway, the one where she's like, you know, where they have the argument before he goes out somewhere. And you're like, well, did that actually happen? Because, you know, he, it's made out that he doesn't want kids. But everything Nick tells you is that it was actually him who wanted the children. It wasn't her who wanted them. And then you find out at the end of the film that she put it in the bin so he would see it. Um, and, yeah, kept this sample so she could get pregnant. 
if she needed to. So she's, yeah, conniving, scheming. Um, is. <clears throat> and I like a film that actually has... It, it. I mean, I don't know, maybe it might be me being a bit silly. I, it does come across as quite an intelligent film. It It is like, well, do you know what? There are people like this out there who are very good at scheming and can pick, you know we live in like an information age so if you're highly intelligent as it points out that this character is from the get go then yeah she's likely to do something this Machiavellian I would say and I enjoyed that aspect of it because it didn't treat her as the victim she was the, the villain but even then I might say she's clearly a terrible person in the end because she kills Desi <laughs> but I do, up until that point I never thought she was. She was. I never thought she was a bad person. I thought she was just. She just didn't know what to do with herself. If that makes do sense. Do you think it's this is boredom? Do you think that drives a lot of this? I don't know because you get the whole monologue about the cool girl, and that's then that's when you start questioning the perception of the film, isn't it? So I think when I first saw this film, I spent the first maybe hour going, "Well, I know it's a David Fincher film, so I know there's going to be a twist." That's always happens with David Fincher films there's always or nine times out of ten there's a twist with them so I'm trying yeah, I mean, to and, and if the listener I, hasn't seen many David Fincher films it's not M. Night Shyamalan though, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's not like let's go see the new Fincher film because we can't wait for the new twist I mean yeah I mean I'd, I'll watch a Fincher film for the twist <laughs> because I know that it's going to be well done I know that it's you know he's you know he's you know this is the man who's done seven fight club uh zodiac the social network um and there he's you know there is really good films even his bad films aren't bad films you know by any standard i think the worst film on his on his filmography that i've seen is the girl with the dragon tattoo yeah i still not still not seen that i think um it didn't look that interesting to me I, i'd be more tempted to watch the original i think um but yeah, th- th- what would you say was his f- best film? Because you sort of say that this is a kind of best of real. I think it's the film that had the most influence on me is probably Fight Club. I mean, I've watched that film far too many times when I was younger growing up. About about 28 times? Is that a limp, limp Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> about 28 times, yeah. I've seen the Fight Club about 28 times. Yeah, I grew up in the mid in the early 2000s. Yeah, I'm not, I'm I'm not ashamed of, of that. <laughs> I, uh, funnily enough, actually, in, in keeping with this, with this podcast, you introduced me to Fight Club. Um, I'd never seen it until I stayed around yours when, I don't know, it must have been about 14 yeah. or something like that. Yeah, because what used to happen was... Um, Sky Movies would play films that were maybe two or three years old, but they would play like the same few films like every week for like six weeks. So like there was Fight Club, Election, American Beauty, uh, and there was one other, what else was on at the same time? I can't remember, but there was these, oh, um, Cruel Intentions. So all these films from like 99, they were all on in like a six to eight week period in the summer. And... um, I would just stay up late watching films, but then obviously once you'd watch them once, and there was nothing else to do at half ten on a, you know, when you've no school the next day, I was like, well, what do I watch now? And I ended up just watching the films like three or four times. Well, this um, is the thing. I mean, when I watched it, I felt like I was late to it, but yeah, now now you, it was nineteen ninety nine. We must have watched it in say two thousand and four. It wasn't. It wasn't really an old film by then. It was probably only about five years old at most. Um, I think it. I think yeah, two thousand. Two more likely, yeah. And so it felt to me like I, would, 
I'd missed this film and I was, you know, silly for, for missing it. But, you know, I was 10 when it came out, so I probably wouldn't have appreciated it as much as I did when I was 14. Yeah, I mean, it's a film you could go watch now and you'd be actually, you'd understand it better, I think, than when you were a teenager. Cause... I think so, yeah. You, you wouldn't see it as satire of that toxic masculinity. You'd sort of see it as, I, I want to be Project Mayhem. I want this, I want this to be my way, yeah. of, my way of life. Yeah. yeah. I want to punch things. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so, yeah. whilst I don't think this is his best film, but because you hadn't seen it, I knew you, I thought you would enjoy it because it's very much a David Fincher film. And I think Ben Affleck's good in this. I think Rosamund Pike's excellent in it. I think uh, Carrie Coon does a really good performance uh, as his twin sister. Um, yeah, I just really like this film. I was I, sorry. It, uh, sorry you said that, oh, cool. Right, it was 2014. You said, wasn't it? Yeah, about October, yeah. November. I think it came out. There was an awful lot of hype about it, especially Rosamund Pike. Sort of uh, her career was, you know, went through the stratosphere for a couple of years after this. Yeah, yeah, she's brilliant in this film. She's terrifying. <laughs> she really is. She's brilliant. So yeah, things I think you might not like about this film. So um I think if you dig down into it, I think that maybe the last the last act of the film's a bit rushed. I think the first two acts are really drawn out and measured and paced very well. I think the last act when she comes home goes through at breakneck speed and I think there could have been a bit more film there and they could have developed their relationship post her coming back a bit better you might not like that that's something certainly when I watched it the second time round I felt was a bit rushed and a film that was going out of its way to show you some of the forensic things that were happening um, and then them dismissing how did she get the box cut a knife you know just and the guy like Ben Affleck goes, well, how did she get the box cut? And the police officer goes, just be glad you got your wife back and take her home. And it's like... Yeah, that was like Basil Exposition on Austin Powers just saying, now don't you worry about it, and then looks to the camera, and we suggest you don't worry about it as well. <laughs> just have a good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try not to think about it too much and have a good time. <laughs> yeah, there was a bit of that in it, which, I don't know, sometimes a film can... I mean, I've put down, does this film jump the shark when she kills Desi? Do you know what I mean? What, what, yeah, why, why do you think that would have been the moment? Um, I think it it just... I mean, to me, it came straight out of left field. I wasn't expecting it. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it was very basic instinct, wasn't it? The, sort of the hand under the pillow for the... Uh, yeah. The prearranged stabby thing. Yeah, so I think... But I think on balance, I think you did enjoy this film. Okay, well, let's find out. Yeah, so coming up after the break, we're going to find out if uh, Sam enjoyed Gone Girl. Welcome back to Please Watch This. So, we're now going to have Sam's opinion on Gone Girl and tell us if he uh, liked it or not. Take it away, Sam. All right. Here I am, here I am. So, as we always do, um, now I'm going to just say things I liked and then if there's things I don't like, then I'll say them afterwards rather than my overall opinion. Um, Building suspense. Building suspense, as the film does really well. So, I really liked a lot of things about this film. I do like a film with an unreliable narrator. Um, you know we talked about David Finch films being a bit twisty and so on and obviously Fight Club's probably the best example uh, from his films of having a very unreliable narrator if you haven't seen Fight Club and you don't know the twist um, then where have you been for 20 years but I won't say it um, I'll do, yeah so I like having an unreliable narrator being 10 um, years old yeah uh, 20 years old no, I was, no you were like 14 when you watched Fight Club 
Oh, I see what you mean. Right, right, right. Yeah, I thought you meant the film was 10 years old. Anyway, uh, yeah, there's an unreliable narrator, really lends to it, and it creates this kind of uncanny feel through the film. And a lot of the people in there, there's not many human characters in there, especially when they're at the... Um, when he's proposing to her at that event with the journalists around the table, they're like this sort of five-headed beast, and they all ask... They basically, to combine, they ask one question, and each person takes one line at a time, and it was really uncanny. You know, it's really sort of not very human. I um, do wonder if that genuinely does happen in America. I don't think it does. I imagine it doesn't, but... What, five-headed journalists, monsters? Well, obviously, yeah. I mean, in Greece, obviously, because of hydras and that, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah. But in... <laughs> this is what it was. It was like, yeah, it was just... It was a bit of a weird moment, and I thought, that seems planned. Um, and you're right, it's a it's an adaptation from a novel, and the screenplay is written by the, the author of the novel, which I think is a, is a huge bonus, um, and really helps, because, you know, it gets to be that she can... Uh, Gillian Flynn can give her give what she meant really I watched a very interesting video by uh, Beyond the Screenplay talking about the, the what was so good about that screenplay was that the sort of action um, lines were really efficient you know so it wouldn't it wouldn't say exactly what happens but it would be something like um, when Nick goes to Desi's house and Desi doesn't want to help him or anything uh, it said one of the action lines was um, ugly pause which was just really nice, and then you've got a director like David Fincher and some great actors who are trusted to interpret that for themselves, really. And you mentioned Rosamund Pike. She's unbelievably good in this film because, again, she's unreliable. Her face doesn't give much away except that you don't trust her. And, uh, I, yeah, she's the character is a great actress, a very scheming and sort of high-functioning sociopath, possibly psychopath, uh, to be able to orchestrate all these things to be able to recreate you know the sort of um, bruising and you know ligature what's, what's it ligature um, yeah ligature marks, marks. not you know, that kind of things. FYI <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. very quick there you know and just like using the wine bottle and all these very graphic things that she's willing to do these things to, to get her to her ends which sometimes are really hard to fathom like just get a divorce or don't ruin somebody's life you know that sort of thing there was a really great character moment as well where she spits in uh, in her new friend's drink because her new friend criticises her on the telly um, unknowingly and she just just spits in a drink <laughs> it's a really good insight into the character yeah yeah, definitely um, so yeah so did you what did you think of the, the twist I suppose did you see it coming? I mean, an hour in, you kind of... I think... Yeah, well, yeah, did you see it coming, I suppose, is the question. I think... I mentioned this last week. It's sort of been... It had sort of been ruined a bit for me, but in a kind of nebulous way. You know, that I knew that she... She wasn't to be trusted. I knew that she was alive, really. Um, and I felt like... Yeah, it was... I thought it was weird. It was kind of like the way that... Um, interviewers were treating Alison Williams after Get Out as kind of uh, being scared by her. I think I'd seen some interviews with Rosamund Pike and interviewers kind of, you know, being scared by her and all this sort of thing. And that sort of took the shine off it. But at the same time, it didn't ruin it at all because it was it was really well done. So, you know, uh, we'll get into it more in, in favourite scenes, but I really liked hearing her explaining her plan uh, so meticulously. Yeah. Um, and then there was a lot of film after that. Uh, which it did well like you said it, it rushed it but it is a two and a half hour film so I, I don't know whether I'd like to a three hour film 
more where like you say they go more into their into their relationship at the end um, yeah. there's also some just great side characters really I mean the the detective um, uh, Boney is a really good character because she's sort of yeah, Kim Dickens that's right and she she's one of those where her superiors are idiots and her colleagues are idiots and she's one of those detectives that's not going to be put off um, by someone just being silver tongued or you know trying to trying to get an easy ploy to, to get out of something and I think that's you kind of need that it's like the um, the, the lady in uh, Hunt for the Wilder People who's looking for him um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> sort of never be deterred yeah. Spitting, throwing stuff, <laughs> setting stuff on fire, stealing stuff, a real bad egg. <laughs> no child left behind. No child left behind. Um, and, I mean, um, Tyler Perry's great as the, uh, what's his name, the character? Uh, uh, he is called uh, Tanner oh, Bolt. That's right, Tanner Bolt. Yeah, he sort of comes in and you just, you just immediately know that you're in safe hands, really, you know, and he's just this, like, imposing figure, but really smart, really funny, and sort of doesn't take it seriously, like, when he's saying, you know, uh, this is, it sucks for you, but this is so good for me. Yeah. Um, you know, really funny story. And, and he was a really nice, really good character to, to come in and sort it out, really. Yeah, he they, like I said, there is some good side characters. Even um, the... Um, the this the local idiot as uh, Rosamund Pike's character calls her, <laughs> yeah. you know she plays it perfectly. Um, yeah, Noel. Uh, yeah, Noel. Yeah, it's as I mentioned earlier, his sister's really good. In, uh, the Carrie uh, Coonan plays his sister in this. Um, their relationship's quite interesting as well, which I find, which I really enjoy. <laughs> yeah, it, it was weird that I mean I did really like that actually. Uh, there's a I think I mentioned it before. There's a screenwriting book guide uh, called Save the Cat, and one of the one of the rules that he says is to. Um, to sort of leave out the media like don't get the media involved because it ends up being it would end up dominating the film really if you get the media involved in things in a lot of films but actually this one it's a huge it is a huge part of the film that's kind of part of the point like we said it's this whole PR nightmare and people you know if it wasn't for the fact that public perception was an important uh, sort of consideration for them they would get what they want and they would do the right thing but things like um, Nick just uh, lying to the police, like knowing where to go for the brown house to get clue number two, and then going there himself and not telling the police that sort of thing, because because it's about it's about perception. So, what didn't you like about the film? <coughs> Excuse me, uh, just cough there, which I'm scared to do now on air uh, after last week. Um, what I didn't like about the film, I um, it's only a small thing, but when they met, it was supposed to be a very charming scene of them meeting. Um, you know, at the party, and it's got all of the staples of that. Like, um, they criticize other people at the party together, and it's very smart, witty, back and forth dialogue. But I found them smug and completely irritating. I don't know if. Did you think that that was meant to be charming? Um, I. You alright? <laughs> yeah. Um, personally, for me, I. I quite like those little character moments like that in these kind of films because it's a bit of social satire, isn't it? It's like there are people like that that do these things, and yeah, it is smug. You're right, and it, it doesn't make them both it doesn't make them both out in very good lights. I think the film tries to paint Nick's character not as a nice person at times, and other people don't seem to like him. At no point though, until he cheat, until I found out he cheated on his wife. Did I not like that character? Because there was nothing not to like about him. He wasn't an inher- 
I don't think they showed enough of him being neglectful towards her to warrant her her actions. I mean, yeah, I mean, here's a question for you. And when I was watching it at first, I thought my answer was, well, she is clearly either, you know, she kills Desi, so she must be a psychopath. But then I watched a, you know, the Vanity Fair series on YouTube and they get oh, yeah. experts in and they had an expert from the FBI and she suggested that the character might have suffered from Munchausen syndrome. Right, um, yeah. Which so more for attention than to uh, like some sort of long-term goal. Yeah. Um so which so as somebody who's trained in a bit of psychology, which of those paths would you go down? I mean, I don't know. The, the, the truth is that, that psychiatrists don't use terms like sociopath and psychopath. It's, that's very much a pop culture, uh, sort of popular term. Uh, they're all bunched under antisocial personality disorders. She's certainly got that. She's certainly got an antisocial personality disorder. I like the Munchausen's um, interpretation because she does kind of cause herself injuries and illnesses in order to be noticed. And I wonder if... It was when they moved to Missouri and she doesn't feel noticed. You know, she feels like he, I think what she says is he, he, maybe she feels like he packed her on, by mistake. Uh, you yeah. Know, maybe that's part of it. And uh, there are those people that sort of create drama uh, because they just sort of can't seem to just be happy with friendships and relationships, you know, and they purposely create drama everywhere they go. If, if it was just Munchausen's, she wouldn't be so robotic, I think, in in creating those injuries you know she might yeah. create those injuries but be panicked about it or or Munchausen is often kind of saying that you've got an illness you know saying that you feel chronic stomach pain when actually there's nothing there it's just for attention yeah. so certainly she's she's got an antisocial personality disorder um, yeah. what I would have quite liked is by the end if he had liked that side of her you know like through all this crazy ride maybe Maybe by the end, rather than just being scared of living with her, uh, which he damn well would be, uh, I'd quite like the idea of him, you know, growing fond of this, of the excitement of this life. And uh, there's a, there's a, uh, in Peep Show. To, to Nick, if you're listening, um, if you want to set up an elaborate uh, ploy to go missing for a few weeks, you can hide out of mine. <laughs> I'll help uh, yeah. you. If this is what your husband, if our future husband's into, I can help with that. <laughs> a bit weird not, if you ask me, but there it's, you go. it's not for me. So, like, I quite like films where over the course of the 90 minutes, two hours, you you understand somebody's like madness you understand yeah. what or why they like it and i was really it was really bugging me i couldn't think of the film but there is there is a film called sightseers have you seen sightseers i can't say i have it's a, heard of it. such a good film and we're gonna we're gonna watch it i think for this show then i'll, I'll make sure it's on the list um nice. i sort of don't want to give much away but basically it's a, a new couple and they're going on a caravan holiday and one of them has a really sort of dark twisted hobby i have heard of this it's one of them's a murderer isn't it yeah and, and then, then yeah go on sorry and so the, that's the idea that like one the other but the other one isn't but then they sort of come around to their way of thinking in the murdering and they they're just a pair of murderers and obviously you don't leave the film thinking oh i could do a murder in some people that annoy me um but you just kind of in the context of that film you understand and i just quite like it if he was if he was sort of yeah if he was converted to her way fair enough um i think he has the natural reaction of 99% of people that I, I think I actually that's something I like about this film is that it's an open ending film you know he's like what is my why thinking because Christ knows if it's something <laughs> malevolent then I am in serious 
serious bother. I like the media perception of it, you know, how that's part of the film. Um, uh, yeah, it I really, really enjoy really, those. Yeah, because he's staying with her despite possibly dying <laughs> by her to her hands basically for PR for the sake of PR you know and for the sake of their unborn child yeah because um, he knows that it would look look bad <laughs> otherwise you know and, and actually yeah that's a uh, but like I said I, I just think it would have been a more interesting film if that was the the end result that actually they had this twisted fucked up marriage that <laughs> just ended up being this codependent twisted marriage is good as well as it stays away from doing a cliche like him leaving in a dramatic scene where she nearly kills him or something like that. And, yeah, yeah. Or he kills or, her in self-defense. he kills her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I quite like. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a it's a good yeah. ending for this film because it's, it's a co- it's a coda, isn't it? Because that's the the first shot is him brushing his hand through her hair, and that's how it ends as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that look she gives him is just so scary. Oh, terrifying, isn't it? <laughs> and and from an acting point of view, I don't know what it is that to um, to do almost nothing with your face but kind of elicit those emotions. I don't know how much time she'd have to spend in the mirror doing those things. I mean, actors must spend time in front of the mirror, I presume. Couldn't tell you, mate. Actors like Rosamund Pike... If oh, you're an you actor, know, you know, please watch this dogpod at gmail.com. Yeah. Let us know some of the processes em- em- that it takes Emily to Watson, get if you're, if you're listening... If Emily Watson's listening, tell us how do you act only with your eyes? You know, if you were in like a Hannibal Lecter mask, you could still do a really good job. Uh, I think just with your eyes. Yeah, do you know something? We should have asked Michael Nardelli when he came on, shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, because it must. I mean, in the same way that an impressionist spends hours on their own, maybe with a dictaphone type thing, just trying to get certain voices right and, and that sort of thing, they must do it. Okay then, let's uh, get into favourite scenes and favourite lines. So what was your favourite scene of this film? I think my favourite scene, it was quite tricky actually, there's a lot of really good scenes. Um, the one that stood out was Amy driving, explaining her whole plan. Her whole plan. And yeah. I quite like that. Sometimes films purposely steer away from those things and they're ambiguous to you know keep you guessing and so on. But actually I quite like it when someone just lays out the plan for you in a five minute uh, narration, you know, with all the demonstration of when they did it. Sucker for a montage. Yeah, I love, I love a montage. How about you? Mm. Um, my favourite scene was the bit where she kills Desi um, because again the twist in this film isn't that she's alive I think it's that she does what she does and comes back and I think that's the real twist of this film is that she's she's so mad that she wants to keep her her marriage together she's like almost forgiving him for making her feel like she's been murdered as she puts it in that <laughs> in that monologue, um, what I would say with this film is, what's so great about it is some films have, some films have a, one outstanding scene, and maybe that's the fulcrum of the whole film. Where with this, it's more like a, it's it is like reading a book because each scene builds upon the last scenes and it builds this mosaic and of a of a relationship and the situation that. That, you know this extraordinary situation that Nick ultimately finds himself in. So I quite like that aspect of this film. So I wouldn't say there's any one scene that stands out to be amazing, but there's no scenes that are um, are terrible either. There's yeah, there's there's very little filler for a for a two and a half hour film. Yeah, um, that scene though, where I love that monologue where she's talking about you know the cool girl does this and does That's that. That's great. Yeah, while yeah. she's having a like a makeover. Yeah. And then you see that it was all an act, kind of almost, with her in New York 
because um, when she's with Desi and she's saying, oh, well, who can quote Proust to me in French? You know, yeah. it, she's playing to the ego of the person she's with and it does. Yeah, I love that. It's very satisfying as a as a viewer to to see somebody like that who's sort of so conniving and so two faced, but you do also know their motivation. So it's like you you do know what they're thinking because you can see them acting. You can see them playing. Whereas a lot of the time you're like, oh, are they is, are they acting here? They're playing. It's quite nice when she sat across from Desi because you know one hundred percent that this is part of her plan. Yeah. Uh, oh no, I don't think it was. No, I don't think she planned. Was her, do you, what do you think her plan all along was to go back to Desi? Because I don't think it was. I think no, sorry, no. I meant more, more, more that when she's manipulating him, especially to sort of bite his lip and pull out his shirt so that he's shown. Oh uh, right, you yeah, know, dishevelled. Like in that moment, you know that that's not the real her. Um, yeah, and you know exactly what she's trying to do, or vaguely what she's trying to do, or you know that she's up to no good anyway. And that's quite nice for a character that's so yeah, du- duplicitous. Yeah, it's quite nice like, when you when you've got confirmation that it's uh, yeah of what um, she's trying to do. My other favourite scene is the scene when he when she's watching the interview with that journalist that yeah. they have because yeah. yeah, I think that's the moment she kind of knows what she's going to do to Desi when he tries to counteract her emotions. That's why I don't think she's like a psychopath or a sociopath in the classic sense of they don't have empathy for other people because she clearly... Well, I don't know, actually. Oh, I could be wrong here. Because is it... Obviously, psychopaths have emotions, don't they? But they just all... They don't have empathy for other people, by and large. Yeah, I mean, they might get pleasure from from hurting others yeah yes there's sort of a complete lack of affect is more sociopathy but again it's the 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 lines between them are quite blurred really yeah because yeah i'm not yeah because i'm that's where i was like oh well you think you know what's wrong with her once you've watched the film once you're trying to i doubt you're trying to you know like i said sofa psychology and uh or whatever and you're trying to figure out what actually what is going on behind the mask if that makes sense yeah well that's that's what makes her such a such a good character because you can finish watching the film and you still don't know what she's thinking really you don't really know her intentions or motivations and you sort of want to hang out with her to see what she would do this is why I, i would really like it if he if he was if he loved her at the end you know if he'd loved this part of her just because she's so captivating and, and, and interesting and different the that maybe he finds maybe he finds other people boring and, and he likes that about her yeah well that's the insinuation isn't it that she makes when they're um, you know when he pushes against the the wall at the end yeah before the yeah, interview yeah. with uh, that awful uh, news woman <laughs> Ellen Abbott yeah yeah that's all I can say about her she's character. got that face though, that, that actress I can't remember her name but she's in um uh Charlie Chocolate, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the, the obviously the more recent reboot remake, and she's got that sort of like plastic parent face, you know. Her, her, her she would send her daughters into beauty pageants and that sort of thing. Yeah, completely, uh, completely sort of shallow and and uh, <laughs> two faced. Yes. I also like the fact that you sit there going because obviously, you know, she is amazing, Amy. In the end, ultimately, isn't she? That's another thing that's kind of met her about this is this woman was her parents used her childhood to sell millions of dollars worth of uh, books to young children and it turns out she is she might not have lived up to the amy on the pay on the page 
but by the fact that she could orchestrate something like this does make her actually amazing. In I mean, a that sense, would, that would probably back up the Munchausen's sense. probably back up the Munchausen's thing because that's you know this is somebody who's had her whole life overshadowed by a fictionalized version of herself that where her parents get to live out what they actually wanted for their daughter. So yeah, you could understand why she'd want more attention. Yeah, and it's a very it's a very regressive thing to do. Is is something like Munchausen's? I do think it's a bit strange that she does decide to kill Desi and go back to uh, Nick's character to Ben Affleck. I did find that a bit strange because I, I, I kind of thought when I was watching it again, I was like, "Oh well, is this not what she wants? Is somebody like Desi who's like as, you know, has as much attention to detail as she does? You know, somebody who's meticulous and, you know, will challenge her intellectually." I thought it was a bit. That's why I was. That's why I kind of said, "Well, did they jump the shark at that point? You know, to steal it from us." It was an interesting one because yeah, he has been so accommodating and you know his place is amazing and he's just but he's he's a bit creepy along with it as well, kind of saying I'm not going to force myself onto you, and you think if you're not going to, then you shouldn't have to say something like that. <laughs> no, you it's suggesting that you're being really creepy in that moment. And Neil Patrick Harris plays that quite well, I think. You're right. It's it's from watching the interview with Nick that she decides I need to get back. How do I get back in a way that doesn't get him in trouble and doesn't get me in trouble? I need to stage an elaborate escape you know yeah with if desi lives then he can he can say something you know he can speak up yeah so yeah um, i don't think they jumped the shark do you think it was it was it was the most shocking moment of the film which is yeah good. do you think maybe then the character her the real character is somebody who likes to manipulate people who she can can who she can manipulate because i would say she might have been able to appoint manipulate desi but i think he would have been as good at, as her over he clearly took the challenge that she set out when he was a teenager and built upon it. And she's might go, oh, bloody hell, I'm not as good as this guy is now. Or, you know, this this isn't going to end well for either of us, so I'm going to take the initiative and murder him. (laughs) (laughs) That is taking the initiative. You kind of get a bit of one-upmanship there. Yeah, it's interesting. I think she could be one of those just high-functioning people who get bored. You know, they, they feel like they're smarter than everybody else and they don't get enough sort of interest and stimulation from other people so these are her her hobbies you know it's it's a very interesting character well the ex-boyfriend says doesn't he he's like you know women like a fixer-upper but amy annexed me (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 and And that yeah that leads nicely into favorite lines actually Um, yeah that's a that was a really good line though yeah so what's your favorite line of the film um, it was a it was a difficult one. There are some good ones. There's a really funny one which I quite like where where he doesn't know uh, Amy's blood type, and then when he leaves the room, uh, <laughs> their sort of uh, deputy officer detective says, "Should I know my wife's blood type?" Yeah, that's that's <laughs> funny. Do you know your girlfriend? Do you know your fiance's blood type? No, I don't even know my own. I, oh, um, I I know mine, but mine's not, not trying to be a dick or anything but I've got a rare blood type or a, oh, here a, we go. Yeah. not rare but like it's a not rare it's not like Z plus or something weird like that <laughs> it's like in the normal blood groups but I think it's one of the less lesser frequent blood types rather than rare but is that a universal donor or O or something uh, I think it's like O negative or something like that I did know right. it right yeah. <laughs> I say I, I know, know it yeah. I knew it <laughs> This is it. I don't know when I would have found out, to be honest. But uh, and, and maybe I'll start giving blood. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Although I've got a tattoo. Are you not allowed to give blood with a tattoo? Is that right? Or is it only? <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
I don't have any I've... tattoos, listeners. You know, so you're asking <laughs> the wrong sure, person entirely. I'm sure I heard that it's why Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't have tattoos. It's so he can give, give blood. That was like a big P- Ronaldo PR thing. Anyway, we're anyway, going off the enough topic. psychopaths um, for one day. <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah exactly narcissistic psychopaths. Um, yeah. Another line I quite liked on the page. It didn't really buzz me during the film, but just just in, in as written. Uh, Nick and Amy are talking and Nick says yes I loved you and then all we did was resent each other try to control each other we caused each other pain and Amy says that's marriage yeah <laughs> it's sort of line, like it? it's sort of like part of this film I think this this film is it's like someone has gone through a divorce and they've made this they've written this you know or they've been married for too long and they this is how they channeled that yeah yeah there's um yeah, there is. It does. It is very anti-marriage, isn't it? This film, quite frankly, <laughs> it is a little bit. Um, yeah. I've got a few favourite lines. I couldn't really pick one that I really found outstanding, but I like. Um, I like some of the funny, like you. I like some of the funny lines in this film. Um, I like the one where Margot says, "Whoever took her is bound to bring her back." <laughs> yeah, I quite liked yeah. that one. I think that's. That's funnier the second time you watch this film because obviously the first time you watch it you don't know what she's about you don't know what she's about to do the second time you're like yeah that's genuinely quite funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, I quite like films like this that unravel, you know that yeah. you don't. It's almost like Blue Valentine, you know, um, the way you see a you see their love at the start and then at the end of their relationship and you see it unravel and you get to understand why they feel the way that they feel towards the end of the film because you see the the cracks forming yeah and then um, the next funny line I like is the, Amy goes the girl with the giant come on to meet it yeah <laughs> I couldn't even say it with a straight face <laughs> I love like the characters just so angry in that moment that this girl who's basically ruined a marriage is uh, or a part of the ruining a marriage is uh, on on TV, dressed like a little schoolgirl Christian. That's right. Yeah, I she's mean, it's a bit hypocritical, like isn't it? <laughs> like, oh, why is this person pretending to be something that they're not for their own goals? But Ugh. that's but that's what's great about that scene is, although it's got yeah. that good joke, it's got that whole well that she's managing the PR. Do you know what I mean? She's coming across to something that she clearly isn't, but it's in her it's in her self interest to come across as this innocent victim in this whole situation that's yeah. unfolding and. Obviously, going. I didn't know he was a murderer because that's what she's thinking. <laughs> yeah, and you this know. job, this film does a good job of letting you sympathise with Amy, even when she's done all these horrible things. Even you know, the fact that she has her money stolen from her and she's at her kind of worst. That's a weird moment where I felt a bit sympathetic and I wanted her to get what she wanted, and then I sort of corrected myself and I thought, wait, no, she's brought all this on herself, you know. Uh, so it does a good job. It is a bit manufactured. If there's a few things that's manufactured, like you know, if you want people to sympathise with the character, let them go through something bad. Um, and, I, sh- I mean, yeah. I, the only thing I would say is I still don't really know why they started drifting apart. I think maybe if I was to, if I was, to, you know, they might. If I was to do it, as a, I, I don't like saying that because that's because I'm not going to do it. So, <laughs> but <laughs> I would have liked to see their relationship break down a bit more, and then. You would have seen. Yeah, I that's think a bit she... montage, isn't it? It's kind of like we moved to um, uh, to Missouri, and then he only used me for sex when he wanted me, and then blah, blah, blah. And it's a bit. Yeah, it's a bit sort of squished in. You don't see the bits in between where, because you know, we've I've had a failed relationship. You've had failed relationship. Rel- some some relationships do spectacularly break down quite quickly. Others 
a slow burn breakdown. So everything's fine, and then little things aren't okay, and then a little things pile on top of little other things, and that becomes bigger things to the point where the relationship isn't working anymore. Not so much, you know, one part. I mean, obviously, as soon as she found out he cheated, that was the end of the relationship. Yeah. But, but you know, and that fact, you know, that's to my knowledge never happened to me. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. at the same time, you're like, yeah, I, you know, if if he was unhappy, you would see the reasons why. You know, some. I think a lot maybe, of these, those those relationships will do that though. That like that. The way that they got together was that they were sort of interesting, charming, young, like, New York people. And, mm. yeah, that would fade over time because they get a little bit bored of each other. And, you know, especially, I mean, the the thing that is the big part of it is that one of them wants a, a kid and the other one doesn't. And therefore, you know, they'll start, they'll be arguing about not putting the socks in the laundry, but actually they're, they're still arguing about whether or not they should have a child. <laughs> you know, it's one of those. yeah. I think it's interesting, and you can see why she wouldn't want a kid because of how she didn't have a bad childhood, but she was her she was curved childhood was commodified, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it was it was used for her parents' uh, gain, and they managed to mess that up as well. It seems. <laughs> and I think if she's if she's if she's been honest with herself, it's because she knows that the, their marriage they'd only be having a child to save their marriage, and that and she's too smart to to do that you know she'd realise that that would be a mistake yeah although a character this manipulative would she not enjoy having a child to raise in her own crazy image <laughs> although you she know. might not like something else having more attention than her maybe yeah that would probably be the counter argument to that yeah. um, did, you, did you have more favourite lines I did um, so I like um, again from the scene with the ex-boyfriend in the bar um, when Ben Affleck asks him when was the last time he saw Amy and he went oh, on TV two days ago and I said there's Amy she's graduated from being raped to being murdered yeah yeah and and that guy I've forgotten his name now uh, now that I think about it but he's he's very good I've seen him in very few things he's, he was excellent in a film called Killing Them Softly which I think we're going to do in the future okay um, he's really good yeah along with mm. uh, Ben Mendelsohn uh, but my favourite line of the film and it's it is heavily emphasised is the bit of narration he does at the end of the film or sorry at the beginning when he says when I think of my wife I always think of her head I picture yeah. cracking her lovely skull unspooling her brains trying to get answers the primal question of any marriage what are you thinking yeah. and I think if you've been in any relationship maybe not in such violent imagery and that's <laughs> obviously a prelude to the rest of the film as well you're like oh why would yeah. he want to crack it was, her head open yeah you know? it was because I didn't really suspect him of anything through the film but that when I first started watching, it made me think, oh gosh, is he is he the psychopathic one? Yeah. yeah, well that's it, that's the point, isn't it, at the beginning, I think. he's Is he the, is it going to be a film about him being the murderer and her being the innocent victim? Because, you know, there's plenty of films that have done that where they'll start off one way and they'll turn it the other way, you know? Well, obviously, you're a Black Mirror fan as well, I think, aren't you? Um, do you know what? I am to the point, but I've not watched it all yet. So I'm slowly over the years working through it because right. it can get a bit heavy if you watch a lot. 
in a short yeah, space of time. In, in that case, I won't even mention the episode. Uh, I mean, I won't, I won't even like give um, you clues s- as to what it might because you might have, you might not have seen it. But basically, there is an episode where somebody seems to be a victim the whole way through, and then it's like, oh god, actually, they deserve to be victimised. Maybe which, not to this extent. Which series is it? Actually, there's two episodes like that. Um, there's one from season two, and there's one from season three or four, I think. Yeah, so I've seen all this, the first three, well, I think there's three episodes in the first two series, you know, each. Yeah. And then there's a Christmas special in series, sorry, in series two. Yeah. Um, so I've seen the three episodes, I have, yeah, I have. I've seen the three episodes of series two, I've seen the three episodes of series one. So I suppose the one from season that. two that does this is White Bear. Uh, you know, oh no, the... sorry, I haven't seen White Bear. That's a mis- that's a lie. Oh god damn it! <laughs> yeah, do you know what it is on Netflix? A bit of admin here for you listeners, but if you want to watch uh, Black Mirror on Netflix, what for some reason Netflix tends to do with some British shows is instead of putting them in the order that they came out in oh, yeah. chronologically, they will put them in chronological order from the point where they acquired funding yeah. on the show so seasons four and five are in the chronological order but for some reason season one and two you kind of watch i think they're expecting people to watch them backwards so i watched the one with donald gleason in where he's the clip, oh, yeah. where he's the robot he's got to be right clip. back yeah i've only and... seen that once because i just can't it's great but it's like the lars von trier film it just depresses me too much it's too yeah. well done so i watched that <laughs> first but that's the last right. In, I mean, obviously, they're, they're anthologized, so you're not supposed to watch them. There's no... The only current thread is the theme of technology rather than contiguous storylines. But Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of Easter egg references to other episodes, but you certainly... Yeah, other than the episode Black Museum, you don't have to have watched any other episodes to to enjoy it. Right. Um, but yeah... That's a lot of Black I, Mirror talk. <laughs> yeah. But yeah no, I really like that. I, like I say, I really like the a thing that... Shows somebody to be a victim, and then you find out they were actually the bad, the baddie, mm-hmm. uh, at some point. Also, um, Tannerbolt has a great line in this as well, Tyler Perry, where he's saying, you know, he should be thanking his wife because he's he can franchise the bar, he can do a book deal, yeah. he can do this. He goes, he goes, you may want to thank her, just don't piss her off. Yeah, and he's very flippant about that. It's like you he might be killed <laughs> you know? yeah he's like oh i'm still at risk and he's like no you're not and it's like yeah, he is though isn't he yeah it's like i know you're an experienced yeah. lawyer but he's in, he's at risk you've never seen any lawyers before and that copper's just like well we arrested you we we stay in the rug and now the fbi have it and it's like yeah i think they would want to know how she got the box cut there's a bit of hand waving it's it's sort of yeah. it's supposed to be a really smart film where she's this genius kind of machiavellian character who's got it all planned out meticulously but there are so many holes to her story you know and actually uh ronda the d- detective bony does is able to you know to figure out all the things that are wrong with her story and yet it's kind of just like yeah yada 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 she's not going to be caught for it basically but it's one of those, it's that trick of move the f- plot along quickly, don't do a plot hole that's so big that audience will just not believe anything beyond that point. Cause yeah, true. Yeah, You just it, keep... Sort of do it well enough that you don't, you don't know, you don't, yeah, it's not obvious in the moment you don't, what's you wrong don't, Yeah, you don't have time to think about it. Um, yeah, so there you go. Um, just right, it's up to you. Do you want to do the critics before, after the, uh, after the break? Let's go for a little break. Yeah, let's okay. go for a little break, and then afterwards we'll have the uh, the critics, the quiz, and the ratings. Okay. Yeah. See you after the break. 
welcome back to Please Watch This. So now we're going to do the critics and see what they thought of Gone Girl. Um, so as usual, uh, I've gone with Mark Kermode first. Uh, he was writing in The Observer. And he says Fincher is back on form. Because uh, this came out after The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, he wasn't a big fan of that. I think he said it was style over substance. It was, yeah. It was style over substance. As I mentioned earlier, the Swedish adaptation film film adaptation perfectly good I don't know why they made this film I think the studio just went oh this was really popular in Europe let's make an English version of it it was very unnecessary it's yeah. almost it's almost shot for shot is it really? yeah almost I don't think, is, there, is there one or two actors who are the same in it? Mm, there may be actors who appear in it I didn't notice any but I could but they could be like you know, they could be side actors or supporting actors in the main film that were supporting actors in this. I don't get... I can understand why she didn't do it, but I don't get why they didn't ask Numi Rapace to do it again. Because... And why they Was got really Mar. Mar. Yeah, because Numi yeah. Rapace speaks English. Right, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's... Maybe that's... Because they've both got... They don't have similar names, actually, at all, but they're both a bit odd names with some of the same letters, and I think maybe in my head... I'd convinced myself that Rooney Mara was in the original or that Numero Pace was in both. Anyway, yeah. anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, so he says, um, Fincher is back on form, mixing the forensic procedural of Zodiac with the playful high-gloss sheen of the game to ingeniously wrong-foot the audience, leading them on a merry dance of death through the murderous maze of modern marriage. And Kermode gave it four stars out of five. That's good. Very literative. Yeah, so Robbie Collin in The Telegraph said, It's worth remembering that this is David Fincher in fun mode. Uh, unnerving, shocking and provoking, for better and for worse, uh, in sickness and in health, but mostly in sickness. So he gave it four <laughs> stars out of five as well. Um, would you like to know what it... Would you like to play the game of what did this get on Metacritic? Ooh, let's do it. What did the film get on Metacritic? That's, that's my the, that's catchy. jingle for it. Yeah, um, and Rotten Tomatoes. Didn't. <laughs> and, uh, I'm going to assume that it's the same as uh, Mark Kermode and Robbie Collin have given it. So about 80%. Yeah, you're not far off, 79 Good, oh, well, good guess. Really not far off. <laughs> yeah, one off. That's good. What do you think it got on Rotten Tomato? Uh, so this is critics of yeah. Rotten. Whatever they call that on Rotten Tomato, I can't remember. The Tomatometer. That's um, it, Tomatometer. I reckon. Well, I, I think, think I went critics, to school with him. <laughs> uh, I think critics like this more than the general public, so I'll go around about eighty again, maybe eighty-five. Um, so this is where Metacritic and Rotten Tomato diverge. Rotten Tomato actually gave it eighty-seven percent, and when wow, I checked okay. it today, um, the fourteenth of December two thousand and nineteen, uh, the critic score and the audience score were exactly the same for this film. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. So yeah, that's uh, that's that's that's. I, I didn't find any negative well, reviews. Well received. Yeah, that's that's good. I did. I never. I didn't find anyone gushing about it though. It wasn't. Nobody gave it five stars or ten stars or anything like that. So yeah. I think it's. I think my analysis earlier of saying it's the best of David Fincher, kind of the hits. It's all his best features rolled into one solid film without it being. Yeah, it's unlikely to be his best film. I think if it just combines his best bits, because something like Fight Club, if that's 
one aspect of him that'll be one aspect of it of him turn up to 11 and done the best social mm. network i think social network is a is a better film than this they're so similar they look almost exactly the same obviously trent Reznor's done the score for both of them uh you know very lots of greens and moody lighting and, and that sort of thing without aaron sorkin's dialogue which i think is a is a loss for this film yeah and there is an almost an attempt to replicate a bit but Again, I like the, some of the interactions between Margot and Nick. I think those two, they, I think they're the only two that would have this genuine back and forth with each other. Yeah, I think I that would think, be I, realistic. This is maybe this is yeah maybe this is what I meant with that first scene where they're their first meeting. I think if Aaron Sorkin or, or someone like that had worked on that, it would have been snappier, more charming. As it was, it was smug and irritating, and I think it's such a fine line, you know, to 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 get those two right. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to just mention, a bit out of our depths when it comes to these things, but what do you think it says? Obviously, we've touched on the media portrayal, but a film like this is very heavily kind of. What would a, how would a woman perceive this film like? Mm. <laughs> I mean, when I went to the cinema to see it, and I went with my ex girlfriend, she said to me almost half jokingly, half serious, "Oh, I'd do something like that to you if you ever cheated on me." <laughs> yeah, we I broke think, up yeah, a couple of months it, after that. Actually, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, yeah, I had a relationship breakdown right after we watched uh, Blue Valentine. Actually, um, <laughs> I've never seen that film. Oh, we'll, we'll watch that. It's another Ryan Gosling one, so uh, that'll be a favourite. Um, yeah, I, it's weirdly empowering. I think is is one way of putting it. Yeah, you yes. know, and there's a bit of a sort of media cliched image now of the of a married man, which is a bit useless. He sort of sits there. She brings him a beer. He doesn't really, you know, he's not very romantic anymore, and he's a bit stupid, bit stupid, and easily led. And I think there is an empowering aspect to that for women, where it's you know, you're the smarter one in the family. You're the one who can control your emotions more, and you know, you you can you can read people better than men can and all that sort of stuff so I mean I, I'm not qualified yeah it's just I always find it I've kind of, I'm kind of interested in the way that cinema portray, Hollywood cinema portrays women because a lot of the time so this is written by one but again it's directed by a man and it's you know it's do we represent women's thoughts and views adroitly and adeptly on screen as much as mm. men are giving you know there's enough cinema out there to know what men think and how men behave and what they what they're interested in and it's been an excellent decade for for hearing more than just white men uh, views really isn't it you know yeah having, whether that's getting more kind of um black voices with things like moonlight uh, or whether that's getting more kind of i mean i suppose quite early in this decade we had bridesmaids which was like the first first certainly one of the first comedies i'd ever seen where it was just all women doing a kind of hangover film where they can be just as disgusting as, as the men. Uh, it's been a really good year, a uh, very good decade for that. And something I like about Bridesmaids is they were disgusting as the men, but not being, not trying to carbon copy men's behaviour. Because yeah, it's yeah. quite easy to make, oh, the women are as bad as the men kind of film. <laughs> yeah. But it's just... It was just that being... they weren't being wallflowers and they weren't sort of just... It wasn't about, oh, who can be the prettiest. It was, you know, we're supposed to kind of not like Roseburn for being so like flawlessly gorgeous yeah you know and her yeah she's like this perfect woman and she's making instead of them all going oh you're so great they're all like oh god she's such a bitch (laughs) yeah and then you've got um 
oh, I can never remember the uh, Melissa McCarthy, who's just yeah. doesn't care what people think of her. She's yeah, like, I took yeah. seven of these puppies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that bit. Right, so so Sam, how many Punch and Judy show puppets out of ten <laughs> did you give this film? Well, funnily enough, uh, eight. Just like everybody else, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I sort of changed my views a lot throughout the film, and I think that there's so much good in the second half because I did I, I sort of paused it to go get another drink at, at about an hour in, hour and twenty in, and I saw that it was over an hour left, and it, it wasn't that it was dragging, but it was certainly like wow, I can't believe there's another hour of this. But there's new levels and there's new things and there's new conflicts that I think make it work quite well. So yeah, I think I, one of the great it. things of this is even great films sometimes can be a little boring in places. But I never got bored in this film second time round. It's the mystery and the intrigue and the enigma that is Amy that helps that I think. Yeah, and because a great films with plot twists is you spend the first part of the film knowing about the plot twist, looking for it to see if they reference it or to see if yeah. you can find it before the the yeah the foreshadowing yeah. Indeed. Um, right, yo. Well, that's uh, that's uh, Gone Girl. What we're going to do now is we're going to do the quiz. We're going to see if you were quiz, quiz, quiz. paying attention. Quiz, quiz, quiz. Let me quiz you on to this week's film. Yeah. Well, I always look forward to the quiz. I, like, I like being quizzed. You do. Um, where did you hide the body? <laughs> Sorry, wrong wrong type of quiz that you like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. So, question one: What is Amy's maiden name? Oh. Oh, I should know that because her parents are in it. Um, yeah, and it actually, there's a one scene where she's referred to as Amy, made a name, uh, Dunn, rather than just Amy Dunn. Oh, Elliot. Yep, well done. That's... Oh, cool. Yeah, I remember. I remember seeing uh, Amy Elliot Dunn and thinking, oh, I'll, I'll remember her middle name. But if you're saying that's her maiden name, that'll yeah, because yeah. her parents <laughs> have the same name. So yeah, you see it there. Yeah, the Elliots. Yeah. Okay. Elliot, boy, you're a girl name. I know it's unisex, but what do you think? Both. I think it's a boy's oh, no, name. No, I mean, it, for me, it's a boy's name. I don't, I've, I, that's partly because the only female Elliot I can think of is uh, from Scrubs. Yeah. I don't think same. I've ever known a female Elliot. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so this question is, what year did Amy get cut from the volleyball team? Oh, damn. Um, so <sighs> let me give you a hint, if you can't remember. So Amazing Amy makes... Uh, Varsity. Yeah. I don't know why I've got the year 1992 in my head, because that would be probably too young. Um, she'd be doing well to be at university in 1992. She's, yeah. I think she's, she has a 32nd birthday in this film in 2012. It, <laughs> yeah, so it must be 99? Uh, no, so it was her freshman year. Or first year. If you're oh, I see. From not, the not the actual like year, year, more the year. The year yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, her freshman year. Yeah. That, that was. Yeah. I'm trying to throw you off there because it goes what year? Yeah. And she, yeah. There you go. What is, yeah. I, 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 what is it? Freshman, sophomore, and senior. Is that what they're called in university in America? Or is I don't know because there's junior and senior, but that is that that's high school, is it? Yeah. I think sophomore and senior might be high school terms as well. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if you're American, seen, yeah, <laughs> tweet us. Or if if you if you've got access to Google, um, please <laughs> tweet us. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. So question three. This is multiple question choice here. 
what is Amy's job? Is it A, an award-winning scrim, scrim shander? Um, is it B, a moderately influential warlord? Or is it C, writing personality quizzes for magazines? Well, you know, her hands are too delicate for scrimmaging or whatever that was. <laughs> yeah, scrim <laughs> shander. <laughs> I'll go for C. C. Writing personality quizzes for magazines. That's correct. Yeah. Um, also, you get a bonus point if you can tell me what a scrim shander is, because I haven't the foggiest. <laughs> haven't a clue. Again, if you listen, if you've got access to Google and the internet, find us on Twitter and uh, let us know. Okay. Um, question four: What is the name of the journalist who accuses Nick and Margot of um, being extra close? <laughs> Is that Kelly Abbott? You, oh, is that the other one, Sharon? You said something? it right earlier in this episode. Was it Ellen Abbott? It was indeed, yes. Well done. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And finally, uh, question five. Uh, what state do they live in? Initially New York and then Missouri. They do indeed live in Missouri. <laughs> and then first New York. Well done. So this week, you've done very well this week. You've got... Uh, four out of five. Four out of five. Yeah. Well, like this film. You have indeed. Well done. Um, <laughs> the theme of this this episode is eighty percent. Four out of five. <laughs> it Here, literally here, is. Here's a. I've got two questions for you. Actually, I've forgotten. Um, I don't so, know where yeah. I put the body. I've forgotten. <laughs> here's one question: Which cast member of this film was the um, richest, uh, highest paid and person in entertainment with 130 million dollars in 2011 to 2012 in this film so there's somebody who appears in this film who made 130 million dollars from entertainment in one year i think it was either 2010 to 2011 or 2011 to 2012 yeah i'm gonna have to cut this pause out because <laughs> i really <laughs> want to figure this one out who's in yeah, this well. film that's not um well it's not ben affleck Nope. Because that would be the obvious answer. It's not Rosamund Pike, because I think we'd know if a British actress made that much money, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you've got Tyler Tricky, eh? Perry. It's not, it's not Carrie, Carrie Coon. Can't be Neil Patrick Harris, can it? Nope. No. Nope, you've got me. I've, I didn't do this bit of research. Go on, who was it? <laughs> you, you said the name, Tyler Perry. Uh, Tyler Perry's an interesting one because he's not really known over here, but huge in America. I was looking, I was doing a, a, a quiz about Christmas films, and it was something like the 20th highest grossing or 10th highest grossing Christmas film of all time is A Madea Christmas. And Tyler Perry plays a character called Madea, um, who's apparently an, an elderly, uh, angry woman. Um, okay. <laughs> that has just totally not made it across the Atlantic. He's a very wealthy man. <laughs> and how's he made the money from that? What did he make the film? He 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 plays the character. He's written the case like he's a comedy character. So what is he just? Uh, so did that film come out in two thousand ten eleven? Uh, uh, probably yeah and then he's got loads of other loads of other shows and he works with Oprah Winfrey on ah Oprah. there you are he works with Oprah that's where the money is <laughs> there it is she's that's the answer she's got all the monies it's, Oprah if you're listening um, I mean a million <laughs> or two to help you know she wouldn't even notice losing if it. you've two million dollars would help this podcast immeasurably we could reach at least a hundred listeners a week Oh, at least, uh, yeah, like like maybe one hundred and fifty, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. and for beyond for a bit of sponsorship. Beyond that, then you'd have to start pumping in a million per, like hundred listeners. 
We'll set up a Patreon. Yeah, we could get like 2,200 listeners by the end of it. <laughs> um, Easy. Right, I, I, do you know what? I, yeah, he's, there is some people who are famous in other countries who we don't really know that are as famous here, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it, it'd be intriguing I mean, to go to America. And, <laughs> in some um, countries, yeah. but... I wonder if there's something that's really, really famous in America from England that we wouldn't know. Or like... That it's really surprising, you know. Like if, um, well, there was like, that guy who if, like, hosted coupling was huge in America or something like that. There was know? a guy who hosts a Scottish comedian, actor, presenter who hosted a show, one of those late night shows in America for a bit. Oh, what Craig Ferguson? Is that his name? Yeah, Craig Ferguson. I, you, I'm surprised you knew his name. Yeah, oh, well, he was in an episode of Red Dwarf. <laughs> he uh, plays, was he? <laughs> uh, he, plays, he plays confidence. Yeah, he's Mate. like he's the he's the epitome of a. Yeah, see, I think he plays like an American talk show host um, personality he's like got it's everything that Lister thinks of confidence he has this weird space virus that means that his hallucinations uh, are real and Craig Ferguson plays this big brash confident man with big shiny teeth right that's my closest thing that I can think to of somebody who's like famous in America who's not really famous over here because if you're on one yeah. of if you do one of those late night shows people know you maybe John Oliver John Oliver as well yeah I mean he, yeah, he, he had some fame here but he's he's huge in America isn't he yeah yeah he is actually to be fair um, right, but that, rightly so but that makes you famous over here doesn't it 99 times out of 10 and uh, you'd be happy to know that he's also in community so Woo! that's this week's <laughs> <laughs> reference to the serial community yeah, yeah. Roger Ebert, just to get it in there, just this week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he didn't get a mention, unfortunately. Yeah, and yes, now he has. Uh, cool. Yeah, so I give this film an eight, and um, I thank you for making me watch it and be part yeah. of our society. I thought it might be an easy one this week because it's hard to not like this film. I find. Yeah, the, the like over time, I'll I'll find more reasons to not like it. Just in terms of, actually, it probably doesn't hold up to plot holes, but it's very enjoyable. Um, a very intriguing film. The what everything wrong with Gone Girl on YouTube is very good at find, uh, showing you the plot holes for this film. I can imagine. Yeah, that would this would be a good film to yeah to really pick apart their stories. Yeah, he does. Um, the guy who does that, he you know he does the funny ones, but he also does the uh, the real plot holes in the film yeah. as well. Which this is there's a, there's a lot of hatred about Cinema Sins, and I watched a thirty minute video of a guy hating on it, basically saying that it's I mean, it's not real film criticism, but it sometimes pretends to be, and they'll criticise things that are actually wrong. And I I just see it as kind of silly entertainment. Mate, you're down the looking hole through the looking <laughs> glass if you're... Uh... <laughs> this is it. Yeah. Like, I was, I was trying, that was I the third to uh, book, it. by the way, through the looking hole. <laughs> third Alison That was the pawn. That was the pawn. <laughs> yeah, that was the pawn. Yeah, that's where she goes to the gynecologist and things just happen. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's, she's all grown up. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, let's not talk about Alice's... Um, anyway. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we finished Gone Girl. Um, in, in response to the question that we sometimes ask and sometimes don't ask, would I recommend this film? Yes, I would recommend this film. And I think I've got a lot of friends who I think would really enjoy this and therefore have probably already seen it. Yeah, well, they probably have. Uh, yeah. Let's hope none of them are psychopaths. Or <laughs> sociopaths. Crossed, but by Statist- sort of statistically. statistically yeah. about, one, about one of them. 1% of them will be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I might know who it is as well. 
<laughs> I've, got, I've made some notes. Now, you might be wondering what film we're going to do next week, Hugh. Are you wondering what film we're going to do next week? No, not at all. It's Christmas, okay. isn't it, next week? Will we get a week off? No, I'm joking. Absolutely not. We will not. No, we were going to do a Christmas spectacular, and we are going to watch the best Christmas film of all time. I can't believe Hugh hasn't seen it, but again, that's the point of this podcast. We are not um, film buffs. We are film fans with gaps in our viewing history. Um, we're going to watch the fantastic, the wonderful... It's a Wonderful Life. Hugh, I'm imagining that because it's so influential and so great, you know all about this film. What do you know about this film? Um, yeah, I know enough about it to for it not really to be a surprise in the end of the film. Because, you know, a lot, a lot of the reason I like cinema is I saw Star Wars when I was very young. I watched a lot of stuff about the making of Star Wars. Uh, when I was a teenager, I saw Pulp Fiction and really got into that. And just realise film could be more than just, quite frankly, stuff that's just a story. It can be about, you know, real life, but hyper reality and, you know, stuff like Fight Club, The Matrix, these influential like films on me. Uh, but something that has gone under underrated on my inf- influences when it comes to wanting to do a podcast about movies is, uh, we've mentioned it before, the... the Channel 4 used to do these, the 100 greatest films around Christmas time. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like the 23rd, the 22nd of December. You know, in the 90s, there was only so many channels. There was only so much you could do uh, <laughs> during the evenings. And they would have these three-hour-long countdown of the 100 best films. And, yeah, they would give away the plot of the film without... They'd spoil the film quite <laughs> heavily. So I've seen it on there. It's a wonderful life. I kind of know that it's just essentially a man... He's at a low ebb, decides to commit suicide before he jumps off the bridge. An angel called Clarence comes to him and does a bit of a, you know, uh, the ghost of Christmas future on him. Um, but what, you know, what life would be like without him being a good person and staying a good person. Um, so, yeah, there's a bit of that to it. Uh, I know that he decides not to kill himself and he is a wonderful life. And that's my best James. <laughs> James Cag? No, what's he called? James Jimmy James Stewart. Stewart. James Cag, not James Cagney. That's a different person entirely. So, yeah, I'm more watching this as a must-see film rather than, oh my God, I hear there's this film called It's a Wonderful Life. I wonder what that's about. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and I think that's sometimes the beauty of these. You can go your whole life not having seen a classic, and that's kind of the point of this podcast. And then you watch it and you go, oh my God, I can see why that's still beloved 70 years later. Um, It's a really nice moment sometimes you watch them as i did with star wars and you go oh well, that was not the film that i was expecting <laughs> this wasn't the this, film you were looking impact. for yeah exactly and it, it turned out to be something else entirely for me um so yeah I, I i feel confident that you're going to love it i think well and i think christmas is a great time for it because it's very sentimental yeah um but uh, yeah no i'm really looking forward and to as it. i've said before i tend to judge film by their own merits most of the time so yeah a film yeah. that sets its stall out to be sentimental to make you think about the value of your own life and and what impact for the good you have around people and you know what life would be like without you is uh i think is it's i'm not gonna criticize it for its message or anything like that if anything yeah. it'll it'll just it'll be the pacing maybe around it being such an old film they tend to be a bit slower characters might seem a bit vaudevillian rather than real characters you know that's the usual thing problems you get with older films but i'm expecting it to surprise yeah. you then in, in that on that sense but yeah no it's uh, it's yeah it's like you can't really watch a christmas film and go in there and and 
they tend to be really good at making you less cynical and and actually tapping into your sentimentality about Christmas, which everyone has. Yeah. Uh, almost everyone in the, in our kind of communities have. But I'm sure we, we yeah. can discuss this ad nauseum uh, next week. So. We will. Get ready for a three-hour episode next week, everybody, because that is going to be one that I want to talk and talk about as long as I can. Yeah. Um, Hugh, this has been lots of fun. Thank you again for yeah. Uh, yeah, introducing me to a, a really um, good film. You're welcome. If the listeners want to thank you for uh, welcoming them, uh, introducing them to a great film, how can they do that? Well, as you know, Sam, <laughs> because there's many ways they can get in touch with us here. This but the one, one... Be very convoluted. <laughs> but uh, settle down, settle down. So, what I want you to do is I want you to go to your computer. I want you to type into your email. I want you to type in please watch this dot pod at gmail dot com. I want you to put the header as the subject that you want to talk about and ask us a question about and then I want you to send that email and then we might we may respond to it and talk about it on the podcast wow I mean for for an episode about a film where there's a scheming, scheming conniving person who's gone to that wasn't elaborate enough trouble. for you do you want more was... okay fine um, yeah so what I want you to do is to get in a relationship with somebody I want you to then make a grand scheme to make yourself go missing to make that person feel guilty but also in whilst you're doing this remember to keep the question that you had in your head uh, and then once you've come back to them covered in the blood of the murdered ex-lover that you had who was very obsessed with you um, and then yeah then send us that email and uh, we can discuss this film or any other film that we've talked about on the pod is that is that what you wanted sam that's more yeah that's more <laughs> what i was expecting so it's please watch this.pod at gmail.com it is. as for the twitters um the best thing in norfolk be the norfolk twitters would be to uh, get us on our twitter account uh, so if you go to twitter.com dot, no, dot norfolk at please watch pod at please watch pod and uh, we we love interacting with our listeners and future listeners on that very platform hang on call them what they are our fans our fans (laughs) our devoted adoring flying monkeys Um, no we're not doing the Wizard of Oz (laughs) (laughs) we've both seen it we've both seen it we have yeah anyway well yeah we we love you all guys thanks for listening and uh, staying tuned and um, we look forward to to talking to you next week Mm. take care talking at you really I mean there's not much back and forth no I mean in my head there is (laughs) that's the voices again is it I mean you are real (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah but the other three aren't don't lie (laughs) (laughs) that's that's what Steve told me to say to you anyway (laughs) what about Jim Uh, he's mute I told you Jim was mute (laughs) (laughs) the shittest voice in your head (laughs) he's a mute yeah I mean I didn't pick him (laughs) anyway as you said see you next week see you next week Bye. bye